Shit, even Banner has fucking Natasha throwing herself at him in Age of Ultron. No, we don't speak of that. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Yes, but we do not speak of that. Nothing against Mark Ruffalo, but come on. <laughs> she says nothing against him, but that's come on. <laughs> well, he knows it. <laughs> he would agree with me. Sure, yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, Paul Rudd just got named Sexiest Man Alive. Come on. Yeah, okay, I, I'm... Straight people are weird. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. So, Amy, I think we should start off this episode with... A confession for me and more of an explanation from you. Okay. Confess, my dear. I'm listening. So in case everyone wasn't totally sure just how white I am, up until seeing Shang-Chi a few days ago, I had not seen any Asian or Asian American movie in my life. Closest I'd ever come, take your pick. I guess... Face-off, kind of, because John Woo directed that atrocity, or Lethal Weapon 4 because Jet Li is in it. Yeah, and when she told me that, I was looking at her like she'd grown a second head. Yeah. It just, I could not compute. I understand. I do. So that is my perspective coming into this, as usual, because Amy has most of the culture in our relationship. <laughs> It's a sad day when I'm the cultured one. <laughs> well, despite the fact that I have not seen any films, I do come to this with a great respect for Chinese philosophy, in particular Chinese medicine, because it's pretty much saved my life in the last two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I feel like I was rather disappointed in the movie because I was coming in with very different expectations, and which I guess is my fault. When the movie was being promoted, it was all about the first Asian superhero in the MCU. And that's great. I was super excited when I actually sat down to watch the movie. I was looking forward to it. And as the movie was progressing, uh, the smile kept fading slowly, slowly, slowly. Mm -hmm. The reason being, I was expecting an Asian superhero movie. What I saw was an American Asian superhero movie. Yeah. And with that said, everybody, we did a little more prep work for this movie than we normally do, specifically watching a couple other movies just to get some more cinematic context for what we were feeling about it. So I just want everyone to know how much I suffered for this episode because <laughs> I sat through Shanghai Noon, people. You're welcome. To be fair, that's not exactly the best cinematic context. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> Owen Wilson, you and me one day, if we ever meet, after I get done telling you how amazing you were on Loki and how much I enjoy your frat pack work, you and I are going to have a talk about the Shanghai franchise. Yeah, she's going to do the compliment sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I watched some of the other uh, some of the other Asian movies, like particularly Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which blew me away the first time I saw it, and even now, so 
I think that movie was a trendsetter for the martial arts that we see in movies today. And I think it's a lot of it can be seen in Shang-Chi as well. Yes. So Amy also got me to start reading Memoirs of a Geisha, which is fucking horrific, but a fantastic book. (laughs) Yes. And disclaimer, Memoirs of a Geisha is a Japanese setting with the Japanese characters and a Japanese movie. If you watch that, it is not Chinese. Yes. And, you know, for people like me, that's something I really have to keep in mind is not lumping all Asian cultures together because one Asian country is as different from another as any European country is different from another. Exactly. And the fact that in the Western world, it's just clumped as Asian. You know, in Asia, you have not only, okay, if you say Chinese and Japanese, but you also have Indian. Pakistani, Sri Lankan, so many different cultures. It's a disservice to clump it all together. Yes. Yeah, I do share Amy's sentiments, though. As much as I wanted to going in, I could not like this movie for a number of reasons. We will get to the problems we had, but we will start off with the few positive takeaways that we do have from it. Yes. And in the same way we did Black Widow, we are not going to go beat by beat. For this movie, we are going to do more of an overview of positives and negatives. Yeah. So I think we can all agree on the biggest strength of this movie, yes? Yeah, absolutely. The action, the stunts, fantastic. I think the bus sequence is probably one of my favorite action sequences in all of the MCU so far. It's absolutely incredibly done. Yeah, we want to give shout outs to the stunt coordinator, Brad Allen, along with the fight coordinator, Andy Chang. These guys did a tremendous job. Yes, they did. It was brilliant. And also, we need to give major credit to Simu Liu because he did a lot of that work himself. Yeah, he did. I think most of them did a lot of their own stunts. Yes. And not only the fights, like the bus scene, and the more Marvel-ish kind of fighting that we see, but in particular, the more Eastern style of fighting that's almost like dancing that we see between Wenwu and Ying Li at the beginning, that was just beautiful. And this was something we have definitely never seen before in a Marvel movie. Yeah. The style, the action sequences, the style is certainly different, very martial arts. and. What Ying Li was doing in that sequence and what uh, and Shang-Chi did later on in the movie was all very Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the internal power and the pressure and mind over body sort of thing. Yes. And that is, you know, a lot of people call different types of fitness and different fighting styles disciplines. I don't think there is anything you could call more of a discipline than Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. because it takes tremendous force of will to be able to do it. It's something I attempted a few times in the past. I do not have the constitution for it. It's something that really takes a lot of time to master. Mm -hmm. And along with these fight sequences came a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. I'm not a fan of hip hop, 
but this is a soundtrack I would listen to. Yeah, and I hate hip hop with every fiber of my being. And that has nothing to do with the music or culture. I have sensory issues with the specific like beats, tones, and pitches that are inherent in hip hop. Nonetheless, they they like straddle the line with this music and I was okay with it and it fit so perfectly. It did, yeah. The music during the bus sequence, I would listen to that just as it is. Yeah, it gave me some vibes from Into the Spider-Verse, which was also a very mm-hmm. hip-hop soundtrack. Right, yeah. And we've mentioned him already, obviously, Simu Liu, the star of this movie. I like this guy. I like him a lot. Just how much? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into this now. Let's really uh, dig in here with our knives and forks into this movie. Mm-hmm. So I think Simu Liu has a whole lot of charisma. You could see it. It was there. But unfortunately, this script and director Destin Cretton did a really poor job of allowing him to show it. And in that regard... He reminds me a lot of what happened to Chris Hemsworth in Thor. It took them way too long to understand their title star's capabilities, what he did best, what they could really draw out of him. I certainly hope it doesn't take them till a third movie with Simu Liu to figure that out too. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do think that the potential is already there and we can see those sparks already there. So I don't think it'll take that long. That being said, I understand why he was held back or he held back in this movie. I think it's a cultural thing. How so? So it's not just him. It's the entire family in the movie. It always seems like they're holding back, right? Now, see, I attribute that to the poor script because the script doesn't allow for that emotional resonance. And there are also a lot of problems created by the editing for that too. The script, yes, could be stronger. Absolutely. And we will discuss that a little more in detail. But I do feel that if you watch Asian movies, and I'm not talking about Shanghai Noon, (laughs) I'm talking about genuine Asian movies, you will notice that Even though there are deep emotions in a scene between the actors, it's not displayed in the same way as it would be in a Western movie. There's a certain amount of reserve. And that's a cultural thing, not only in Chinese culture, but a lot of Asian cultures where being overly emotional or evocative is not in the culture. It's it's too much. Okay. It needs to be a lot in order for that kind of level to come out. That's a good point. Yeah, and that's something between you and me we've experienced as well. Oh, yes. Where plenty of times where you think I'm super upset about something and I'm like, I'm just talking. Yeah. In this case, though, I absolutely see what you're saying. But the problem is, this is not an Asian movie. If it were, that would work. But here, you don't get that. And I was actually thinking about that during the movie, the way they refer to their father as dad and the little interaction we see among this family, they really barely talk to each other. 
there's no sense of deference to their father, that cultural deference of honor thy parents at all costs. You get more of a sense with that with Katie's family, which is interesting because they're the immigrants. I don't ever get the sense that Shang-Chi and Shai Ling ever have that cultural reverence for their father. There's no fear in them. There's no sense of respect. There's just kind of emptiness there because the script isn't there to support them. And I think the other part of it is Tony Leung's performance because it's so level. It's the same thing. And I know that guy is a great actor. I know how revered he is in China, but he's also not allowed to go one way or the other with it because at the end of the day, this movie doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know whether it wants to be a formulaic Marvel movie or a family drama or a Godzilla movie in the end or an Asian movie. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so it ends up being none of those things. When you try to be everything, you end up being nothing. I agree. Yes, there is a lot of ambivalence in the script itself. And I was feeling frustrated while we were getting to these through these scenes, especially the ones within the family, because it felt like there's more, there's so much potential to go deeper over here. Even if it is done in a reserved manner, there was more. They could they could have definitely explored a lot more. Exactly. And that's where my frustration was coming through. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that when the movie started, we were told how scary and terrible Wen Wu is mm-hmm. or Wen Wu was. Mm-hmm. And even the kids, before we meet Wen Wu, the kids are scared. It's like, oh no, dad is looking for these pendants. It can't be for anything good. You expect something really, really bad. But when he shows up, he seems almost like a loving father. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of disconnects especially with his character, with all of them, but really with his. And I think a lot of it has to also do with Tony himself, because there is something about him that just seems nice. He seems like a nice guy, a very kind-hearted person. I don't know him. I've never seen anything else that he's been in, but he seems that. you can. It's, it's coming across on screen. Between that and the way he's behaving with his kids and his almost half-hearted attempt of saying, we'll burn the whole village down, it's, there is this disconnect. Yeah, it just sucks any emotional resonance out of this movie. And like you said, they tell us about, with that voiceover in the beginning, a voiceover that I'm never crazy about, it rarely works. They tell us how terrifying Wenwu is. And that's the biggest issue with this movie is that they do an awful lot of telling and very little showing. And that's breaking the number one rule of screenwriting. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say that a movie like this, which there's so much to learn, there's so much, it's so different from the rest of the MCU that it's inevitable that that we will have exposition dumps. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But the problem is the exposition dumps that we're getting versus what we're seeing is that there's a huge disconnect between the two. Yes. And Marvel is usually excellent at that, at giving us exposition dumps in a succinct, entertaining way. And this movie was a 
total letdown in that regard. I'd say the second one that we get from Michelle Yeoh was a lot better than the first one we got. Oh, we do have to say, Michelle Yeoh is an absolutely stunning woman who should be protected at all costs. Yes, she's incredible. And she's also in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and she is incredible. Again, that's if you watch that movie, you'll see what I mean about being reserved. And there's so much unsaid Mm -hmm. in that movie, just with a twitch of an eye. It's fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. There can be tremendous emotion and power in restraint. Some of the best performances you'll ever see are also the most reserved and restrained. Mm-hmm. So the potential was definitely there. Yes. Now I want to get into the treatment of both Shang-Chi and Simu Liu in this movie. I've got a big problem with it. Mm-hmm. So we have seen in previous franchises, Thor, Steve, Tony, we've seen, we've seen all three of them being fawned over by women. Women throwing themselves at them, quite literally, at some points. (laughs) Yeah. Even on What If, my God, the treatment Hemsworth gets in uh, the serial killer Hank Pym episode. Yeah. You know? And... Hey, I'd throw myself at Peggy. That's beside the point. Hey. (laughs) So here we have... The first male Asian superhero. And despite the fact that this dude is ripped and he is hot, okay, th- there's no argument about this. Simulu is hot, okay? Peanut Gallery can be quiet over there. She's no longer objective on these matters. I didn't even say a thing and she calls me the <laughs> Peanut Gallery. It's very, very insulting, all right? And hey, I'm representing a different demographic, so you shut up. <laughs> I'm sure the guys will agree with me. (laughs) Point being, nobody even gives him a second look in this movie. There's not one woman or dude who looks at him and recognizes this is an attractive man. Yes, they give him a shirtless scene, a quick one, because they're checking off that Marvel checklist box. He looked good. Of course he looked good. It's a Marvel movie. He's going to look good. But the fact is, Mm -hmm. this is a very attractive man that receives no attention at all for it compared to his white counterparts in other movies. And he and Katie are completely platonic. And it seems that in 10 years, she's also never noticed that her best friend is not only super hot, but jacked. And the first time we see Shang-Chi, he's getting dressed. He's putting on that, what we find out to be the valet uniform. Now, you and I talked about this earlier. There's an early scene on the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier where Sam is getting ready for the museum event. And we spend a few minutes watching Sam get dressed. It's hot. And part of that is Anthony Mackie. He's a very attractive man. But they do it in a very, like, sensual kind of way. It's well done. And we saw the same thing done with Matt Murdock on Daredevil back in the day. And we don't get the same treatment here. It's just, you know, flashbang real quick when they could have taken their time to do it and given him the same chance at that sex appeal. And I don't know whether that's just a director who's not great at directing anything but action sequences or 
you know, is this a subconscious knock? Because Dustin Cretton himself is Asian American. Is this a subconscious knock on the masculinity or sex appeal of Asian men? It was just very noticeable to me. Shit, even Banner has fucking Natasha throwing herself at him in Age of Ultron. No, we don't speak of that. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Yes, but we do not speak of that. Nothing against Mark Ruffalo, but come on. <laughs> she says nothing against him, but says come on. <laughs> well, he knows it. <laughs> he would agree with me. Sure, yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, Paul Rudd just got named Sexiest Man Alive. Come on. Yeah, okay, I, I'm... Straight people are weird. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. But I agree with you with what you said about Simulu. And I suppose he's an attractive man. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. kick him out of bed. But it's not something I noticed. I was, in fact, more interested in his dad. <laughs> oh, for anyone out there like me who is ever trying to find that common thread among people that Amy finds attractive. Have you also given up? I give up. I, I just can't. I don't know what to do with her. And if you do ever manage to figure it out, please let me know because I can't figure it out either. <laughs> I honestly thought that I'd probably be interested in Charlene, but the bangs just didn't do it for me. Like, I just wanted to brush that away. And it, <laughs> seemed, it seemed uneven as well. Like, woman, what are you doing? <laughs> I genuinely thought I'd be gaga over her, but I wasn't. Just, I can't figure out myself, like I said. I was actually more pissed off with the way she was treated. Yeah, you might have felt more for her if she had, I don't know, been in the movie. Yeah, she hardly had like five lines. There's a lack of dialogue in this movie for sure. And that's another thing. I would love for somebody to go back into the movies and just count the runtime of dialogue for Simulu versus the other male counterparts. Because goddamn, did he have less to say in this movie than any of them? I agree. And I also think it could be cultural. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt there, but it could have been executed in a better way. Yes. Well, we're definitely not giving them any benefit of the doubt as far as the treatment of Shailene, Katie, Yingli, every woman who appears on the screen. Let's just say that. Yeah. I need to know, was there a woman within even 50 yards of this writer's room when these three men were writing this screenplay? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. I think you answered it yourself, because if there was a woman, the women in the movie would have had more to do and would have been less stereotypical. Yeah. So let's dig in here. We'll start with Shailene. She's introduced as this fierce female character. And I'll give them credit. I didn't see it coming when she turns out to be Shang-Chi's opponent. Really? No, I didn't. I guessed it. I was like, oh, it's going to be the sister as soon as he walked in. And she just talks very briefly about why she started this club, about how her father completely ignored her. So I can't even fathom the tone deafness of these writers then completely sidelining her from the movie. Yeah, it's like they point it out and then they do the same thing. Yeah. How does that even compute? I, I don't understand. I think in their mind, they were trying to be 
more aware and pointing out the cultural misogyny. Yeah, and in in the attempt, they managed to point out their own ignorance. Exactly. And it kind of was like a checkbox of, yeah, we've got a strong female character who's a badass. Yes. That's it. I agree with you completely. You're going to put all of these women in this movie. You're going to put Shiling, Katie, we've got Yingli, we've got their aunt. And you're not going to have a woman on that writing team in 2020? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is just egregious. So now let's talk about Yingli, their mother. She's a beautiful woman. She is. You know why, Amy? Why? She's very well preserved because she's been in the goddamn fridge for so long. <laughs> yeah. Again, we have a woman dying for a man's benefit, for his growth, or in this case, for Wenbu to regress. Yeah. And it's more than that. So this did not happen in the comics. In the comics, Shang-Chi's mother is unknown. They made that change Mm -hmm. intentionally for this movie. They chose to show a woman outnumbered like 20 to 1 and brutally murdered. While her kid is watching. Right. I would love to know how, why they thought this was necessary. It's the thing that drives the movie. I'm not excusing it. Yeah. But the brutality of it, too, it's just ridiculous. You know, like, we saw this also in Thor The Dark World, not excusing it. Also, wasn't okay for Frigga, another mother, to be killed off to further the arcs of three men in that case. But at least she had her powers intact. She was one-on-one, and it was a fair fight. This was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was. And she could have taken the rings if she wanted to. Yeah. They were there. Yeah. Like when those 10 guys are standing there and she gets into her fighting stance, I'm thinking, all right, she's still a great fighter. She's got a shot at this. And then like 10 or 15 more guys walk in. I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, is this a cartoon? This is something that happens in a cartoon. Yeah. And it's also telling us, oh, she is not the superhero. Because if she were to fight off all those people, That's something like Captain America would do. Yeah. Yeah. And she's already given up all of her ancient wisdom powers, all of that for her family. And that was her choice. I'm not knocking that. That was perfectly fine. She wanted a different life than what she had in it. If anything, I think that was actually kind of an empowering choice. That was a good on her moment for me. I see where you're coming from, but I would look at it as more cultural again, because it's expected for the woman to give up her home, her life for the man. Yeah, there's that. It's it's tough not ever having experienced that culture. So I, I do get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That was something that pissed me off. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, bridging that cultural divide. Let's get to Katie, because that's her job in this movie. Yeah, she's essentially a proxy for the American audience. Yes, and I will also say that uh, old Chinese women and old Italian women have a lot more in common than either of them would like to believe. (laughs) Yeah, they're both old. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's just say Katie's not the only one out there getting pressured to get married. Okay. Yeah. Well, she and half the world. You hit puberty, boom. When are you getting married? So I feel really bad for Aquafina. I really do. I think she got the shit end of the stick here. And that's saying something after after we discuss Charlene. Yeah. I think what they did to Katie is very similar to what they did to Shang-Chi and to Simu Liu. So first off, we have here this character that's all over the place. And a lot of her dialogue feels very forced. They make her look stupid. She's supposed to be the comic relief in the movie. But, I mean, she has a few funny lines here and there. But by and large, she comes off as annoying. Yeah. And the comedy she's given mostly doesn't work. Because the writers don't know what to do with her. The only laugh in this movie I had, the only comedy I thought worked, was Ben Kingsley's Trevor's whole bit about not realizing that the monkeys were riding horses. Yeah, that was stupid for me, but... He's the white guy in this movie, aside from Razorfist, who we're told is Romanian, and he's the only one who gets the really good comedy material. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's serviceable. Oh, yeah, that made me laugh. Ben Kingsley does a fantastic job with Trevor, because he's Ben Kingsley. Yeah, true. I didn't quite find it all that funny, but... You know, to each his own. And the other big thing with Katie here is the way they make her look physically. Aquafina is a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. But they glow her down in this. She's barely wearing any makeup. The clothes they put on her are all wrong for her body shape. They make her look frumpy and dumpy, plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that, and I'm not the kind of person who notices clothes. Yeah, and she is not the, you know, classic feminine ideal. Uh, you know, nothing against the other women, of course, who are in C the MCU, but she does not look like Brie Larson or Scarlett Johansson or Natalie Portman. Aquafina is egg-shaped. She doesn't really have much of a waist. She's got short legs. I noticed this because I am shaped very much like her. So I do appreciate her presence on the screen, but at the same time, they're making her look bad. Yeah. And it pisses me off, just like with Simu Liu, that this is the first big female Asian representation we've had in the MCU, and she looks like crap. True. Yeah. And you say that you guys are similarly shaped. I think you look great. Well, thank you. And with her... It looked like she'd been cut off six inches. Yes. Just because of the way she was dressed. Exactly. Yeah, like I'm smaller than her. I'm not uh, as wide. But I would never, ever in a million years wear the clothes that she has on because I would look ridiculous. I'd look 15 pounds heavier than I am. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And overall, I get what they're doing with the character because she's a bridge and she's, an Im she's a second generation or maybe third generation immigrant. She doesn't speak her language, but she understands it. Yes. But overall, her attitude is just, again, it's weird the way she's portrayed. Yeah, it's a very mixed bag. And I know what you mean about that, because my husband is very much the same way. He is first generation. And his Spanish is terrible. He really can't speak it. 
but he understands it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I've seen with immigrant kids. There's not a lot of middle ground. They either stick with the cultures that they've been born into, or they lean very much away from it, which is the case with my husband. Mm -hmm. And Katie is just such a mixed bag. And the experience culturally is so different for girls and boys growing up. These writers just had no idea what to do with her either. Yeah, true. They didn't have any idea to do with anyone that didn't have a penis. Pretty much. Yeah, and this whole thing of her being this sort of young woman who doesn't want to grow up, who doesn't want to take on responsibilities, and then within a span of like probably a week, she's turning around and killing the big bad, you know? Yeah, and all of her dialogue on that kind of stuff just made me cringe. It was so heavy-handed. There is no nuance whatsoever. It was all just so... All right, what do we need to say the further the plot to tell them what they need to know about Katie? Again, telling instead of showing. Yeah, yeah. There's no nuance in this script. No. It's about what we need to say, not how we say it. Very well said. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just... I just pulled the muscle patting us on the back. Excuse me, everyone. I apologize. <laughs> now, we mentioned Trevor Slattery briefly. I hate myself for this. I really do. Truly, truly do. I love Morris. I want Morris. He's adorable. God damn them. They're checking that adorable furry little creature box. And I'm there for it. And I'm a hoe. <laughs> No, the, the lack of phase doesn't do it for me. No, no, that would freak me out. All I kept thinking about was imagining my dogs meeting Morris and freaking out trying to find its butt <laughs> to, to get to know him, to sniff. I think it had a butt. I didn't see a butt. But the lack of face is a big butt for me. There's <laughs> those little noises. I'm like, damn, you guys. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, if they could do that with the robot hand in Iron Man and make it seem like a dog, this is child's play for them. That's true. You're right. So speaking of Morris here, I don't know how I feel exactly about all these mythical creatures that we could, that we see. So they are real in Chinese mythology. We have fire phoenixes, the nine-tailed fox, Guardian lions, Morris, that type of creature is called a uh, Dijang. And if I didn't say it already, I'll say it now. I apologize for any words I definitely mispronounce in this episode. Me too. And then we have uh, the Keelin, which is the uh, horsey, the horsey looking creature. Dragon scaled horse creature, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to speak about that creature. When... Katie's driving and she almost bangs into it and he sort of stand he or she sort of stands there and looks into the car for a moment. That is the look of every disappointed mother. <laughs> so I feel like they clearly made an effort to honor certain parts of Chinese culture. Like we have these creatures, we have this idea of the dragon as the great protector that is deeply embedded in Chinese culture. Yes. 
Dragons traditionally symbolize uh, potent and auspicious powers, and they're positive creatures associated with strength and prosperity. And as we see in Talo, they also have the power to control the weather and water. Mm -hmm. And the production designer on this, Su Chan, uh, who is Chinese-American, said she used the five elements in her designs, and that's earth, wood, metal, fire, and water. So the effort was definitely made. I'm just not sure how well it was executed because I am not Chinese. Yeah, the effort certainly is there, and they do pay homage to a lot of to the Chinese culture. But all of that gets negated when they end up having a kaiju fight. I wanted to scream. I could not believe my eyes. Yeah, because a kaiju fight, like Godzilla, Kong, you know, all those, those are Japanese. Yeah. We have been, through this movie, been told that this is Chinese. There's a lot of Chinese influence. Shang-Chi is, a, is, a, is of Chinese descent. And then we end up with that. Yeah. It's, again, it's the same thing that I was saying before. You can't club in Asian is all one, all in one. Yeah, and it's also beyond that. It's stereotyping. Yeah. This is a movie where all, it almost seems like the collective Asian cultures, specific, specifically Chinese and Japanese, have been taken together. Again, it's the check mark of this has been done, this has been done, this is what is expected from an Asian-American movie. And it's almost a fetish of sorts. Mm-hmm check out the f- funky martial arts and the funky dragon and all of that. We didn't need a dragon in this movie. No, we did not. And I'll tell you this, everybody. If you haven't seen Kong Skull Island, go watch it later. Because the second half of Shang-Chi is beat for beat Kong Skull Island. Completely. And you can trust me as an expert viewer of that film, as I have seen it over 20 times. I think if you IMDb this movie, you'll know exactly why. (laughs) And it's bad enough to completely crib another movie. But when your own movie is mediocre, you don't want to make your audience think about a better movie. Because even though Kong Skull Island is 100% a monster movie. You go into it knowing you're getting a monster movie. It still has a better script and way more emotional impact than Shang-Chi. I cry at the end of that every time. And I half expected John C. Riley to walk out of one of those houses in Talo, let me tell you. (laughs) And Talo itself is another issue. I call it the Asgard problem because the final stakes of this monster fight are tied to this village that we just got introduced to like two seconds ago that hasn't been fleshed out at all. We don't know these people. We don't care about this place, just like Asgard. And it's even worse here because we spend even less time. So I felt absolutely no stakes at the end of this on top of not feeling anything in this final showdown that Shang-Chi and his father have. Speaking of Tao Lo, overall, I think the village itself is beautiful. Like, I, would, I wouldn't mind going and visiting there. Oh, yeah. Beautiful location. 
Yeah, but that's the thing. It's not a location. And at certain points throughout this movie, I feel like the CGI was not up to the MCU standard. There were points where you could really know that it is CGI. And I'm not talking about the monster fight. That obviously is. I'm talking about the sets. Mm. The points where Shang-Chi and Ying-Nan are talking to each other in the village. You can see the, that the background is a green screen. Mm-hmm. You know? A lot of small things in this movie were just not quite up to par. Like Razor Fist, his arm being CGI, it felt like it was CGI. Normally we've had so many of these kind of augmented characters we've seen in the MCU, but it felt real. Mm -hmm. Bucky's arm, it's CGI, but it feels real. Yes. Whereas with Razor Fist, it felt like CGI, like it, I know his arm is there in green screen. And that's another way that Skull Island did it better because they really did six months on locations of shooting. And the difference is palpable. And as far as the visuals go with the monster fight, that's another big problem I have with it. I was watching this for the second time and my husband came in the room as the monsters were in like full flight and he just goes, wow. They sure spent a lot of money on this movie, didn't they? And they did. Yeah. And I feel like that's the problem is that there was no restraint. That whole long sequence, this monster fight felt like a few boys in a candy store with an unlimited budget from their parents. They didn't understand the idea that less is more. And it was like, all right, how much do we have to spend on visual effects? all right, we made the movie. How much do we still have left over? Oh, we need to use all of it. And the result of that is confusion and over-the-top spectacle that is just there for the sake of spectacle. Yeah, there's no subtlety in, in this movie. No. Compare it to Doctor Strange, the movie, not the uh, What If episode, which was also visually stunning. But in Doctor Strange, we have a lot of that too, where we have, you know, Strange leaving his body when the Ancient One kicks him out and he's seeing all this crazy stuff out in the universe. And it's this like insane montage. And it's beautifully done because there is a structure to it. There was restraint there. It had, there was an obvious plan for it in a way that it enhanced the movie and the script and gave us information at the same time. And none of that is present in this monster fight. Yeah, I feel like when the writers and directors sat down to figure out what the plot of the movie is, I feel like they started off with the monster fight and filled in the rest. I wouldn't be surprised if you were right about that, because this plot is just needlessly convoluted. It is. And I also feel like, okay, you want to do a big CGI fight? Sure, we have that in the MCU all the time. Mm -hmm. It's what we expect. But at the same time, if you're going to do it, you have to keep it clear. And I mean that visually clear. They're trying to show us over here the power of wind and water. And it comes through when we have Ying Nan showing... Shang-Chi, how she 
controls it and is teaching him. But in this big CGI fight, there's so much dust and mist because of the elements that things look unclear. Mm -hmm. You know, it almost seems like artifacting in the scene. And that's where I feel like a lot of people might get confused or lose track of what's happening because there's so much visual noise. Yeah, noise. That's a really good way to put it. And, you know, I think the same can be said for the use of flashbacks in this movie. It's a big issue I had with it. I feel like they kind of just filmed all these flashback scenes and just cut them up kind of willy-nilly and stuck them into places without an overarching plan because it doesn't make sense. The information we get at different times, it's out of order. And the impact of finding out that Yingli was actually murdered and the way she was murdered, it just doesn't work. And, you know, I mentioned Daredevil earlier. I consider Daredevil to be like the gold standard of effective flashbacks. Yeah. During the first season. Yeah. Fantastically done. Yes. So I don't know, maybe my standards are a little too high for it. I don't think so, but I think they could have been done way better. It could have been done better, but I don't think it was really nilly. I mean, I understood the logic behind it, but it also felt like during the flashbacks, they were holding back. Like we were seeing the same scene several times. And then we were getting a little bit more information and a little bit. So it was kind of like, oh, now you see this and oh, we're holding this back. And now you do that. They were trying to be coy, but it wasn't working. Yeah. And I think there was actually a continuity problem in there because of that. That had me confused. Where? It had to do with like where young Shang-Chi was standing. Because I'm like, how did he get outside the house all of a sudden in front of all these guys? He was never outside the house. like. She didn't have an opportunity to say these last words from him because he was in there. It was it was very confusing the way they chopped it up. I can see why you got confused with that, because here's the thing. So the area where she was training him was exactly the place where we had the CGI with the pendants being put in the eyes and that fantastic scene with the map. All right. But here's the thing. The courtyard outside throughout the movie in present day is a training ground. We have tiles on the floor. And in the flashbacks, after the mother has died and Shang-Chi is being trained, it's got, it's not tiled. All right. But during the sequences, when we see Ying Li there, the entire area has been converted into a garden. So it's the same spot, but it's been converted based on the different time frames. And that's why I feel a lot of people might be getting confused. Yeah, it felt really muddled. So, of course, Shang-Chi, and we'll just call them the women. As if... <laughs> yes, we're being as dismissive as they have been. Yes, they are successful. Then the movie, just the ending of this, just completely fizzled out for me. And we get back to the real world where things are wrapped up. And Wong shows up to interrupt the world's most boring dinner. <laughs> Drinks, I suppose. Thank God. They weren't actually eating. Thank God. Because if we had to sit through a whole <laughs> dinner with these people, I would have thrown myself out the window. 
You would have created a portal for yourself. Yes. Yes, I would have. And this part annoyed me so much of Wong coming through and asking for Shang-Chi and him like raising his hand saying present. That was fucking funny. Okay. So I mean, why is that making you angry? Because Simu Lu is funny. He's adorable. He's charismatic. And they didn't let him be. That was such a cute moment. And it was just so frustrating. Complain not for what you did not get. Be grateful that you got that. (laughs) So Wong brings the two of them back to the sanctum. So let's talk about this ending scene here and then our our post-credit stuff. As if it wasn't bad enough what the writers had already done to Shai Ling. We've just got to throw that extra bag of shit on her doorstep. Yeah, that pissed me off too. Like, she's pissed off that she was, you know, treated shittily by her dad. Right. She said to Katie, if my father won't let me be part of his empire, I'll build my own. Which she did. Right. And then now she's taken over the Ten Rings. But here's the thing. She's taken it over, but she's putting her own spin on it. When we pan out, we do see that she's putting in solar panels and satellites and all of that. It seems like she's taking over the Ten Rings to make it a different version of her empire that she'd built in Macau. But we also know the Ten Rings from the comics are a force to be reckoned with. Is she going to be the next big bad for Shang-Chi to be dealing with? That's my big concern. Yeah, and that that is something I'm afraid of, and I hope it doesn't happen. That's what I feel like they were doing. That was the yeah. vibe I got from the music and everything. Yeah, me too. And I'm very, I'm hoping that whenever we do see Shang-Chi Part 2 or whenever we see him in the other movies, this doesn't come to pass. That whichever writers and directors come in later on, choose not to take this thread or to turn it around and change it in another way because it's happened before. Right. And as far as that whole conversation with Banner and the rings and this message of some sort, I have no idea. Yeah, they've left it open on purpose. I'm pretty sure it's going to play in to the other movies. I'm guessing this is a plot hook that will get resolved or at least come to be in the next Avengers team-up movie. Because we know Shang-Chi from the comics, is part of the Avengers. Sure. So, Aim, from both a character point of view and a representation point of view, what are you hoping for in the future for this character? I certainly hope to see more of Shang-Chi and Simu Liu, obviously, because I do feel like this is a movie that introduced him, but I, I feel like there's a lot more we can see of him and a chance for Simulu to really shine. I agree with you 100%. And I also hope whoever comes on for the sequel, since it looked like Katie's going to be sticking around, I hope to God they fix that character as much as it can be fixed. Yeah, me too. I, I have hope. They can, if they want to, genuinely they want to, they can fix it because Aquafina is not a bad actor. No. If she's given something and to turn it around and to make it make sense and not look like a complete 180, she can do that. Yeah, I totally agree. 
overall, I'm pretty hopeful for Shang-Chi and whoever we've seen so far, provided we have a few behind the scenes changes. Yeah, they're going to have to work really hard to get me on board. They've dug themselves a big hole. That's fair. For me, I think my biggest disappointment was the fact that I was expecting a more Asian movie as opposed to Asian American. So on second viewing, I was, once my expectations had been tempered, I think I liked it better than the first time I saw it. So. And I had the opposite feeling. Yeah, the movie definitely has its flaws, but I do think that the characters have a lot of potential. And just like we had Thor and how he's turned around from being uh, the least interesting and boring movies and character to one of the most beloved and we really feel for him. Yes, and that is due to Taika Waititi. Yes, and also Chris Hemsworth finally being given a chance to play to his strengths. Yes. Because Chris Hemsworth has a certain heart to him oh, just he as Simulu does. Yes. So I'm I'm pretty positive. I think it can be turned around. Well, we shall see. When we'll see, we have no idea. Yes, it's certainly going to be a long wait. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week as we cover the first two episodes of the latest Disney Plus series, Hawkeye. And for our American listeners, have a happy Thanksgiving and try not to kill anyone you're spending it with. That's a tall order. Indeed. In the meantime, <laughs> if you want to share your thoughts on Shang-Chi, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. I'm sorry, I'm a mess. That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> I was lid it. Came off, it wasn't on right, and now I'm just about water all over the place and I'm a fucking mess. Okay. <laughs> Continue. You know, when I hear weird noises from your side, I just tend, pre- prefer to ignore it most of the time. <laughs>